Welcome to Project Alchemy, the podcast. I'm Kobe Sheehan, a high school senior in Austin, Texas. I believe a meaningful life is something that we all seek to find. To discover what this looks like, I've interviewed inspiring adults in my community, asking them to tell their story of what happened in between, meaning their transition from adolescence to adulthood. Each will reflect on the lessons they've learned, both from triumphs and failures, and ultimately attempt to share what they believe is a life well lived. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Project Alchemy. This is episode number five. Today's guest is Josh Nelson, the chief academic officer here at St. Andrews Upper School. He's originally from Lubbock, Texas, but found his way to Austin and is doing amazing things at our school. And this summer, will be defending his dissertation for a PhD in STEM education. Mr. Nelson, welcome to the show. And if we could start, what did your life look like at age 20? Yes, um, around 20, I had decided that I wanted to pursue math. I wanted to study math. Um, and that that was um, a surprise to me. I, I started off in college. I was a cultural anthropology major, mainly because my uncle was a cultural anthropologist, and he, he, he was very fascinating to talk with. Um, he had a lot of really cool stories. Um, the first year of college, you know, those first years, 18, 19, I, I recognized um, that I was really only interested or doing the work from my math classes. I was taking those as just like my dad had always said, take a math class every semester of the first couple of years. You never know what, you know, what you'll do. Um, so I, I just ended up uh, recognizing that I really liked that activity um like learning math the the sort of activity of learning math to me was really fascinating because it didn't come necessarily um easily it was it was something that i had to work at and the other classes in college i didn't have to work at that was easy that was um the the defining difference there was that i could actually skip reading my culture anthropology book uh and show up to class and do fine you know, no one knew that I hadn't read a thing, but I couldn't do the same thing in my math class, you know, and I was, yeah. I was just taking, I was repeating calculus, but it's still like, a, you, you, you can't just sleep on it. You know, one of my professors told me, don't let the sun set on unfinished math homework. And I took that to heart. I always <laughs> would do my homework. So, um, so around that time of, of 20, I had just established that I wanted to be a mathematician that I decided that this was gonna be what I was gonna do. Um, yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was an interesting time, I guess. So that was kind of the, the plan you'd set for the next 10 years, right? When did that change? Um, you know, I, I, I finished my undergraduate degree and I, did, I had no idea what I wanted to, to do. I knew I needed to do some graduate school, um, that, that if I wanted to use, have math as a, as a part of my career, um, I toyed with the idea of maybe becoming an actuary, which is like what a lot of math majors do, but um, I found that that was not at all interesting to me. And there's a big uh, hub of, of actuaries in San Antonio, so that's kind of where I thought I might end up, is in San Antonio as an actuary. But, but the other thing about an actuary is that you take these tests to level up. Um, and, uh, and that just didn't sound appealing to me. Uh, they, they pay you to study for the tests, but I just didn't, 
I didn't want that to be a part of my professional career. So I applied for graduate school and uh, uh, in, in math at Texas Tech University and got in and recognized then that that because sort of the theme was always that like, what's the hardest thing? What's the thing that's the most difficult? And for me, that was um, the pure math, like abstract math. Um, and uh, so I, I, I just fell into that and, and wanted to become a, a cryptographer, work for NSA, do something like that. Um, and in the first, uh, first year that I actually taught as a teaching assistant, I realized that that no, that's what I want to do is teach math because um, it was it was really interesting to to be a math learner and then all of a sudden be in charge with in charge of teaching math and uh, I liked that I I guess because I had always found that the reason why I liked math and liked hard math was you could always trace it back to something easier every time and. Um, that was really satisfying to me. That like I knew the trick was the trick was if this topic is hard, just go back a little bit where it wasn't hard. Like just read a little where like go back to the point where it was understandable. And then, you know, even if you have to go a little bit before then in terms of chronology, like, okay, well then but you will inevitably understand a little bit better the more complex stuff. And so that's I just did that I just really liked that. It was like my own sort of, um, you know, epistemology. Like I realized how I learned math. And so um, I wanted to be able to provide the same kind of experience. Was there a moment that you realized that or had that shift from, from thinking that, you know, you want to continue on with math and maybe work for the NSA? How, yeah. did, how did that transition happen? Um you know, I, I it, it, it's sort of like, I guess in some ways, it, I, you fall into things in life, you know, you make plans, but you end up sort of making the adjustment. I had moved to, to Philadelphia, and um, I was teaching at Temple University, and I, I, I was going to enroll in their PhD program, um, but just like how things go in life at that moment, it was going to be a lot of work. I would have had to retake a lot of classes that I had already taken when I had gotten my master's. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the idea that I was going to then teach at the college level, I started recognizing that it was going to be, you know, a lot longer than what I anticipated. So um, I ended up uh, making the choice to, to not pursue the PhD in math at that time. And then instead, think about where I could work as a math teacher, which was tough because I didn't have a public school math um, certification. And uh, so I, I didn't know where to teach. I ended up teaching at um, Austin Community College and uh, ITT Technical Institute back then when that was a thing. I don't even know if those are still around. But uh, and then and then somebody approached me about being a math teacher at a middle school. Uh, and I was very hesitant <laughs> i would imagine yeah because at that time again like i i had you know i had tattoos on my forearms and wrists and i just didn't imagine that that would go over well in a catholic school it was a catholic school so uh but my and brother you were, you were how old at this time oh i say i'd, I'd 23 22 23 um and uh my brother is a is a he worked in a middle school and He's still a middle school administrator. Uh, he's a principal at a, at a middle school here in Austin. And he convinced me that it wouldn't be that 
crazy and that and I had actually um, kind of recognized that this the the search or I guess the the teaching at the college level you know it's there's a difference between teaching at a university like a you know and and teaching at a community college. oh yeah and I and I recognize that difference um, that it wasn't just teaching at the college level like um, I wasn't going to be teaching anything more interesting or advanced than just calculus, maybe multivariable calculus. But to me, the really interesting math was the pure math, um, you know, abstract algebra, number theory, and algebraic geometry. And at least with the teaching middle schoolers, I was teaching geometry, which I really liked. I liked the I, that I could teach them about proofs. Um, so that's that's kind of where 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 I found myself as a as a K through 12 educator, as they say. Okay, so you show up to a Catholic middle school um, with a, a group of 13, 14 year olds. Uh, the first day, what were you thinking? I immediately recognized that I needed more schooling. Like that's, and, 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 and that's, the first thing I thought was, you know, I, I, I did a pretty good job at whenever I was teaching college students at um, keeping the math, keeping it humorous. Um, but I also I also <laughs> recognized that I cussed a lot <laughs> in front of college students. Like I didn't think about it. And right. I guess I you thought, well, they're old enough. I can drop a, you know, a, a, a four letter word every once in a while. I didn't feel like I had to consider it. And in the first day of teaching middle school, at a, at a Catholic school, I almost said a, you know, said a bad word in front of the class <laughs> and it was, it was just second nature oh, no. to me. And, um, so that was the first thing, but I also recognized that, um, and this, this actually happened early on. I recognized that the, 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 the stuff I liked about math, which was really complex and, um, theoretical. Um, and it took a lot to really get to an understanding of it that, there wasn't an equivalent within the world of education for the most part. In fact, the first year that I taught at a middle school, somebody asked me about like Vygotsky, if I'd ever heard of Vygotsky, I didn't know who that was. Like I was a, I only knew math. So Vygotsky's like this huge, huge figure in, in, um, in the world of education and, and specifically in learning theories. I read a little bit about it and it provided the same sort of like complexity in theory that I liked about pure math. So I, I immediately recognized that I'd like to learn more about that and uh, so that I could be a better teacher to middle school students. I enrolled in a mass, another, I was gonna get another master's in mathematics education and, uh, and I enrolled in that. Um, I actually, funny enough, enrolled in a PhD program in math education at UT and I was denied. And I was heartbroken because uh, I thought that could have been the thing. And uh, but I, but I got into the master's program, so I I, I jumped right in, and uh, and then later on in life got into the PhD program. But at that moment, it was pretty devastating. I was I was pretty sad that I didn't get into the PhD program. So, for most of your life, you you didn't really think you'd end up teaching math, right? Were there any doubts or struggles you faced or times when you thought that this maybe wasn't what you're supposed to do? Yes. I, yes, for sure. I think I've, I've had those moments. I'm, I'll, I'll just tell you, I'm pretty pragmatic though. I'm not the, 
you know, one, uh, for me, I think having a job, um, a steady job is important um, for just my own personal well-being. So um, as much as I might consider other things that I wanted to do, in fact, before uh, I actually looked into joining the Peace Corps and, uh, and I got accepted into the Peace Corps and wow. was going to move to West Africa uh, and teach math. Uh, but I, I was looking at a different thing and ultimately did not pursue that. Um, but it, it is in line with sort of my pragmatic nature that I was like going to go from like a job to Peace Corps service. Like I wasn't going to just explore. I'm not the kind of person right. I wouldn't do good if it was like a, a, a commission based job where like, you know, your check depends on how, how many cells you get. Right. Like, that, to me, is a nightmare. And you knew uh, that about yourself. I knew that about myself. So I think um, the idea, and, and this is going to sound bad, but at one point my brother, um, who's another educator, like I said, and, and so he, he was like, you know, um, you've never had like a job where you didn't have spring break. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. I have never not worked or had, you know, like my whole life I've had spring break. So from age five <laughs> until thing. now, I still have spring break every, every, uh, every spring. And I, and I do wonder like, what would life be like in an office environment without that, those breaks that you get as a, as an educator. Right. Have there ever been times where you realized that you didn't really like you're doing or the path you're taking? Uh, maybe, just going through the motions and did you realize that yes um as a math teacher i started to fill that and um and that was interesting for me um because i i really do value uh teaching and then specifically math math instruction and math education but i found that um the, the schools are a very complex system and i was relegated to one like part of the system just like math teaching for my classes and i i kind of felt um i felt a drive or at least an interest in doing more because one of the things that i liked about like you know my graduate school mathematics experience was like studying complex systems and understanding them better and i thought i could do the same thing within a school environment because they're they're very complex systems, and um, and I think that there there has to be someone or, or people, and there are people in schools that that try and understand the systems better, make it better, make the system um, a more functioning uh, system, that sort of thing. So I started to feel dissatisfied with where I was and my ability to um, engage in more of the complex system that school is. You know, like that you're you're just going to be a teacher like you know that's what was that was what it was feeling like i wasn't going to be asked my opinion and if when i did offer my opinion or or even like my analysis of something that that i was met with like well you're just the math teacher for middle school grades so right um so that there was definitely a sense that like i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to make this choice of um, no longer focusing on teaching, but instead focusing on the other aspects of school, which is administration, you know. Uh, so, but if anybody knows me, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of administration. So it was kind of like crossing over to the other side. What, what is it like? Like, can you be yourself? Can you still have all of those, you know, thoughts or, or questions 
um, or concerns about the school system and be an administrator. And, and so that's where I was, I was kind of, I was in that point in my life trying to decide, could you do that? Is that something you can do is like give up on the idea of you, you know, cause you take a lot of like personal, you know, uh, your worth is, is in some ways tied to the idea of what you do. And I was a teacher. And so to go away from that was a little bit scary. Yeah. So that's a big risk. So in your path to get where you are, at what point do you think life was the most unsure for you? You know, I think, um, I'm not always looking, I guess, for like surety or, you know, I'll, I'll just be honest and real with you. We're, we're doing it. Um, I, about three years ago, I was, I was working on my dissertation and, um, I had a really tough, uh, a tough experience. My, my dissertation, my original dissertation supervisor left, uh, the school a week before the semester began in the fall. And I was in limbo. I didn't know if anybody was gonna, um, take me on as a student. You know, I, it was an open question as to whether or not I could find a replacement for him. Um, I felt like I, I, I ended up navigating it. Um, but throughout the process, I, I think I developed, um, some anxiety that I didn't have in my life before. Uh, just, just felt worried about a lot of things like what, well, you know, like things that were out of my control. And, um, and I've, I've always, I've always been somebody that's like, well, if it's out of my control, it's out of my control. You know, like I, I can just take it as like, yeah, that's just, you know, it's out of my control. Um, but you know, I think about, that's pretty rare. Too. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, I'm not, I wasn't perfect at it, but I, I never got bogged down in it. Like I felt over the last three years, like as, as this sort of anxiety thing with this anxious thoughts, like, um, kind of took over. Um, so I started to doubt like why I was even, you know, like in the PhD program and like, what was the point? Is it for me? You know, a lot of it was me having to just reflect and be like, why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself through this? Um, and uh, is it for somebody else's expectations of me? A lot of that was, was coming in. It's like, uh, I would be worried about not finishing or, or not getting into what's called doctoral candidacy um, because I, I had told some people that I was like almost there. And then I was like, the fear of the embarrassment of having to address them you know, and tell them, no, I didn't get to right. that level that I thought that I was really close to. For some reason, that that just weighed really heavily. And, uh, you know, I, I, I over worried about it. And, um, and, uh, you know, I, I actually I went, I, I talked with a therapist about like a lot of these thoughts. And, you know, he impressed upon me something that I still, you know, think about to this day, which is that people, and it's a good thing to know, but people don't, think about you as much as you think they do you know that like in our brain everyone's like man did you hear josh didn't make it to doctoral candidacy like oh my gosh you know but he said he was almost there and you know i've made a story up in which everyone's like pointing out all of my mistakes and i didn't get far enough and like all of the inadequacies or the, the fears i have about me i'm worried that people are thinking about them all the time and um to, to be able to then go reflect and go, no, they don't do that. They, people, 
you know, they don't fixate on my problems. They're not talking about me over the dinner table, you know, like that I think they are, you know, like that's where it is. It's like, and that's what I trying to find that balance between like your, you know, the story you're telling yourself about what everybody else is saying about you is false. Like, you know, it's, it actually sort of leads into this idea that over the last few years, something that I've been pursuing is, is this sort of, uh, really asking people about intentionality because we can we can do this thing as humans where we assume we know somebody's intent and what we're really saying then is we know what they're thinking and that's false we never know what anyone's thinking and we we also think that we know that they're thinking about us so we tell a lot of stories to ourselves about how well that person thinks that I'm crazy you know it's like or, or you'll say that, you know, like I was talking to somebody and they thought, I think that they're thinking that I'm thinking they're crazy. You, all of a sudden you're like, you're, you're implanting yourself into their brain. And not only that, but they're thinking something about your brain, you know, right. inside it's your It's a two-way mirror. It's totally not happening, but you tell yourself a story. So I think, you know, the stories I told myself about not completing or not finishing or, or any of those things were... A lot of them were were based on somebody else or, or, or what I thought somebody else was thinking or uh, other people. I just didn't want to disappoint my family or whatever it is. And when I got down to it and I really like, what is this? What is this process? Why? Why am I doing this? If I'm not trying to satisfy anybody else, I recognize that like the the thing I liked about this from the very beginning is what I kind of talked about is that there's something intriguing to me about a very complex thing, a, a, something that's hard to understand. And I found it in my, my dissertation, this idea of like learning theories, like that's the, the complex thing that, um, that I wanted to learn more about. And even if I didn't finish, but I learned more about that, that was good. Like, yeah. And you were able to take a step back. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's really what we need sometimes. Cause you said intentionality and, and it does kind of take, you know, thinking and reflecting about it to realize, am I doing this for others? Because um, yeah. it, it happens all the time, even subconsciously. Um, and the other thing you, you touched on was, yeah, even in, in just day-to-day -day interactions, worrying that others are judging you or what they're going to think about you. But yeah. the thing is that everyone is thinking that. Right. And so when we're all so consumed with that, there's really no more space to judge others that right. much. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I think that's... Man, it's tough because I, I understand. I you know I'm not somebody that doesn't want people to to not like me. You know, right. I mean, I, that's that's false. I'm yeah, not. I'm not that is. like confident or like you know where it's like no, I, I don't even care if these people don't like me. If I find out that someone doesn't like me, that hurts. You know, I'm like, oh man, what did what did I do? What what I think I've recognized is that there's a there's more to the story, and they can like that perception they can not like a perception of me if it's something that i really want to pursue if it's going to be a damaging work relationship or a personal relationship then i will you know go confront them in a way and and find out well or at least establish my purpose establish my intent my intentions and hope that you know even if if after that they still don't like you or whatever that you've you've done your best you've you've, you've really provided for them your intent and that's all that you really can do because then, you know, they, they can still, you know, think whatever they're going to think. But if I satisfied myself of that, then I then I don't worry so much. So 
in all these transitions, making the shift to teaching math or uh, or deciding to pursue your PhD, after going through those, do you agree that hope is not a strategy? Or do you think there there have been times when you've almost just had to have faith that things would work out? Um, you know, I think you, I, I'm an internal optimist and I'm always just hopeful. Um, one of the things I'll tell people a lot is that like, I don't, I don't, I don't want people to do things based on my fears. A lot of people will tell me like, I'm afraid of this, or I worry about this. So that's why we can't do this. Or I'm, I'm afraid of this effect. So we're not even going to try it. Um, you know, like some new strategy. Uh, and I, I've never had that. I've always been like, let's go for it. You know, for me, um, and in that regard, I think there's a, there's, there's something freeing about that. Like, I'm hopeful that like, it's always going to work out and people will tell me, yeah, but it's gonna, you know, what about this bad thing that happened in the future? It's like, you know, my, I think what I've learned is my own, like, I don't, I don't want to put my own anxious thoughts on anyone else. You know, they're my own, like, you don't want mine. Like, I have anxious thoughts about dying, you know, like I, I worry that like I'll have a heart attack just out of the blue um, and die, you know, like that, that's, that's a fear that I live with. Like it, it happens. It's, 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 you know, like embarrassing to admit how often I'm met with this fear of dying. But I think and, we all have that and not necessarily dying. Right. But uh, yeah, but for me, it's, it's that it's a health thing. Like I'm always worried, like even in, in, you know, it takes, it really takes focus to not let it take over you. Cause I've, I've had moments in my life that are beautiful moments. Like I'm hugging my daughter and it's like a wonderful moment we're hugging. And it's like, and in that moment I'll say like, but what if I die and I don't get a hugger anymore? And like, it's like, first off, it's just an automatic thought. It just pops into your head. You know, like that's one thing I've had to recognize is they just pop in. Like there, you don't have control over your thoughts primarily, like, you know, so weird thoughts, thoughts of like your own impending doom, any of that. Like, it's just, it's, it's happening. It's not, you know, because I'm hugging my daughter or anything like, so, um, right. So you can't control it. You can't uh, control. I, yeah. I, I, can completely relate to that um and and what advice do you have for for getting past that uh it's the advice of sort of i guess it's it's not anything groundbreaking it's that you have to remind yourself of facts and that like and uh, that that outweighs the the fear that if you say for instance when i'm if i hug my daughter and i start to worry about having a heart attack and dying like i just remind myself like where's the evidence for that thought like you know um I went jogging the other morning, didn't, didn't keel over and died, did a pretty good job. You know, um, I, I, I like, you know, I've been eating well. Like, so you just remind yourself of facts like, okay, well, the fact is, is that like, I'm, I'm healthy and that I, I really should not be worrying about it. And then you, then you have to do this thing where you have to ask yourself, do I want to behave in the way of like, of the facts or in the fear? Like, am I gonna, if I really do believe I'm dying, I should go to the hospital. Like that's the other, that's the next step is like, if I think I'm dying cause I'm hugging my daughter, like you should go immediately to the hospital and get that checked out. Right. But I'm not going to do that. I know I'm not going to do that because it's just, it's a, it's a thought. So the moment you kind of go, okay, what are the facts? And then like, do I want to actually go through the behavior of like the fear? No, I don't. I don't want to go through the behavior of fear. Now there's times where you should be like, I should go to the doctor. This is something to check out, but you have to like, 
again, remind yourself of the facts. Like, okay, I've had a cough for three weeks and you know, th- th- there's a reason why going to the doctor makes sense now. It's not just I'm overreacting and I think I have lung cancer just because I'm coughing, um, which, uh, you know, that's a, it just, it's, it's, I guess, therapists describe it as cognitive behavioral yeah. therapy, reminding yourself of facts. Yeah, and, and, uh, and the fear of suffering is always worse than the suffering. Itself, yes, yes, yeah. That's a, that's a good point of view. I think my way of, of kind of coping with that, I never really thought about um, thought about that from a logistic perspective, but more, I believe that, that everything happens for a reason and everything is how it should be. And so when, when those thoughts pop into my head, it's, it's kind of like, I have to come to, to terms with that and make peace with it that, yeah. all right, so be it. That, that's, that's what's going to happen. And then, like you said, acknowledging that you don't have control over it. Right, um, yeah, and the, the, the hard part with somebody with anxiety, if anybody has anxiety or anxious thoughts, like, is that if you don't, if you don't really do that to yourself, like, if you don't have something to say, hey, this is a fact, this is, you know, like, or, you know, do some sort of mindfulness or something that, like, takes you out of that, like, you're, you can spin into that, like, where you're really, you know, worried about, like, dying. Yeah. You know, am I having a heart attack right now at this moment? Because my chest feels weird it's like no you just had a frito pie like you're gonna like your chest <laughs> is gonna feel weird because you just ate cheese and frito chips like that's that's that happens <clears throat> so then then you just remind yourself that's normal that's a fact you know fact is you get heartburn when you eat <laughs> frito pie so then then you move on you know but and maybe you, you don't eat frito to, pie yeah sure. then you try not to eat frito pie even though it seems like it's everywhere i like it so you mentioned you're an optimist, which I think may mean that you take more risks than most. So, and and taking risks is is it has two sides to it because it, mm-hmm. it often leads to to that joy, but it often does open yourself up to failure. Yeah, and you're gonna encounter that. Um, but are there risks that you've taken that maybe haven't turned out so well, um, and failures you've enc- encountered that? you look back and, and wish they hadn't happened. I mean, yeah, I think, um, you know, as I said earlier, and, and I'm, I'm a pretty pragmatic person when it comes to risk, I weigh a lot uh, before, you know, doing it. But if it's, um, I, I and, and just in regards to that, I kind of think of it as like the definition of an experiment is, is actually that it's temporary, you know? So like if I ever think about doing something I just have to remind myself that this is an experiment and experiments are temporary. And what you learn from an experiment is whether or not you want to continue doing it or go back to the way you were doing it before. And if I'm worried about not doing the thing that, that I was doing before, like if I'm worried about like, well, I want to keep doing the thing I'm doing now. If I try the experiment and it doesn't work out, I'll, I'll get to go back to it. Like I, you know, it's, it's, I guess I just remind myself of that in terms of risk. But I've, you know, I, I, I've had moments where I've, I've had to sort of, I guess, the, the remorse or the regret over what didn't pan out, um, or uh, I, I've had that in my life. You know, I've, I, I risked a lot. Uh, but do you, do you regret taking the risk? No, 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 I don't. Um, and I think, um, you know, that's that's also something that comes with time. I think you can, you know, everybody kind of has this sort of understandable feeling of buyer's remorse. Like when you like, I'm going to buy this new thing. It's going to cost a lot of money. I've bought it. And then you're like, why did I spend all that money? You know, that that fades, you know, that that kind of like regret 
can fade. Um, I, I think I think the paradox is that when these bad things happen, and we do wish that they hadn't, but that's from the perspective of already having gone through them um, yeah. and learned from that. Yeah, yeah, and, know, and known that it that it didn't work out because if we hadn't done it to begin with, then we still wouldn't know. Yeah, I think there's that's really a good point, and I've always considered that um, if I can learn something from it, then it wasn't bad, even if it was a failure. It wasn't. It didn't work out like I wanted it to. Then as long as I can just like find one thing at least, and there's many many things that I can usually find. But just one will satisfy me that like, okay, then it was worth it because I learned something. Uh, and sometimes learning things is in the negative. You learn about things that you, because, you know, it's like, it's not always like, oh, learning isn't always positive. Like where the, the, the effect was positive. Therefore the learning is, it's like sometimes the effect is, is negative. Like it was a negative effect but I still learned something positive or I learned something that like is going to come with me, you know, like is going to be with me for the rest of my life. I think there's, I think about it like that, that you're gonna, you, you just focus on that aspect of it. Like, did I learn something good um, or learn anything? And if I did, then moving on, you know, I guess at that point it's like, there's not a lot that I can do. Right. And the, um, the learning itself outweighs the, the negative. And I think that there's, something I've learned about sort of like anxious thoughts a lot of anxious thoughts that at least I experience are sort of regret over what I did or like embarrassment like living an embarrassment over and over again I don't know if that's if that's familiar to anyone but like let's say you do something and it just you know you said a joke and it bombed and like maybe you even offended someone like you know like you didn't you really didn't mean to so it's got this ultimate like double embarrassment because it was it was like it hurt someone or or something and that that kind of embarrassment or regret if you let that fester and you keep focusing on it like an anxious thought like just letting it kind of tell a story about you're you're not good you're why did you do that you're so stupid you should have known that you know whatever it is like if you keep reliving that embarrassment and that regret, like I really think that that's that's a contributing factor to some people's anxiety or anxious thoughts. But um, so you have to be able to say, I, I have to leave that. Like that doesn't define me, you know. And and also, you know, kind of do the thing which you know I think many people have suggested, not just me, but that you ask yourself like how you would react to your really good friend telling you about this embarrassment and you would probably be supportive you know more supportive to that person than you are of your own self so just imagine that like you are telling yourself something and what you should say is like well that was a dumb move or that was a mistake but moving on you're a great person you know like just that's what your friend would say that's what a family member would say they wouldn't they wouldn't drag you further down into the mud and make you like think about it and all of that they they would never do that so apply that same yeah. thing to you it's establishing that that balance i think of humility um to recognize that you messed up but also the confidence in yourself yeah what gives you meaning and how do you know when you found it you know i th I, th I think i'm fueled a lot by understanding things getting getting to a, a, a better understanding I remember I, I, I collect hobbies like a hobby. Like, you know, what can I learn? Can I learn enough about this thing to be able to do it pretty well? Um, and then, and then, I'm, then I'm off to another thing. And um, 
and like learning about new things, like how to fix a car, stuff that that I didn't know how to do. I feel like that that I kind of like that. I yeah, think that I, gives me a lot of meaning. I love that answer, and I think it's it, it's like you said, just just learning it, even if you never really use it again. I think the learning curve is one of the most amazing things in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and. Yeah, I, I actually struggled with that for a while because I didn't recognize that about myself. But take sports, for example. Like, I was always pretty good at sports as a kid, and, and I'd ask my parents, man, if you had just started me, like, right. at tennis since a young age, I could be so good. But but then I realized that there would be so much less time for everything yeah, else. That's um, true. So I really like that. How do you define courage? Uh you know, I mean, this is something I actually, I've been talking with my five-year-old daughter about, you know, courage, because she's, uh, you know, she's like learning how to navigate socially, like at school, she'll be at kindergarten, you know, next year. Um, she's, um, you know, so we talk about courage, because sometimes, you know, for her, courage is like standing up to a dog. She's not she's not a fan of dogs per se and we have a new puppy and um i think it's courageous when she can tell him no and he's you know a puppy so he's like kind of rambunctious and he's like bigger um so he you know he hops all over her and he since he's a puppy he thinks like biting is playtime and that scares her you know Uh, Um, yeah so this is an interesting thing because we talk about this idea of like courage is being afraid of something, but not letting that be the only, not letting that be the end of the, the story that like, you know, being afraid of a dog is, is understandable, especially, you know, when you put yourself into the like, you know, shoes of a child and like the dogs are really big and they've got big sharp teeth and you, you know, yeah, that's courage for her. Yeah, it's courage for her to be able to just stand up to him at times. Um, and uh, but it's also courageous of her to 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 ask a friend to play. You know, like she, as at her age, she asks. Um, she she's even right now asking me to go ask a friend. And so my my push as her parent is to try and bring her to the edge where it's like. I will walk with you all the way to that friend and hold your hand and be right next to you. But it's courageous to just do that. And and it's even more courageous to then you yourself say, do you want to play? And, um, and she's getting to that point where, you know, she's making the steps to say, can we go play? You know, like the, the thing for me that I always, uh, social aspects for me as a kid, I never really, I, f- I felt awkward, but I never, f- but I never felt like I couldn't go ask somebody to play, or I never felt like that sort of timidity or nervousness about um, about like playing with kids. I just um, and and I see that she has that, and um, so f- courageous to her means it's a whole spectrum of behavior where she's, you know, just just the courage to say, "Daddy, will you will you go ask?" my friend if they'll play with me like that's uh that's you know like working with her until she can like you know get to the point where she feels like she's not ending ending in fear is is kind of the the thing that that i talk with her about is like we don't want to end in fear Um, yeah i think that's a beautiful example and 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 then some of the best things come of that 
Yeah. So we're almost out of time, but to wrap up, if you could say three things to your 20-year-old self or any 20-year-old, what would they be? Don't smoke. I, 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 it's a filthy habit. When I was 20 years old, I smoked cigarettes. and So don't smoke cigarettes or vape, any sort of nicotine product. If I could tell my 20-year-old self that, I would say that. Um, and, I, and I quit around that time, so I'm trying to remember. Uh, I imagine that was hard. It was. Oh, it was terribly hard. It was really, really a tough thing. I mean, people, teenagers now that are dealing with, like, you know, nicotine addiction and, you know, either through, you know, vaping or, or through smoking cigarettes, like, it's tough. It's really hard um, to, to, to give it up. Um, but do it, you know, like, that's, that's, you know, most things are tough. Uh, but, but just go through with it. I'd say... I would um, I would tell my 20 year old self to not worry so much about what other people are thinking or what you th- again what you think other people are thinking. I wish I had come to this sort of recognition that people aren't thinking about me like I think they're thinking about me earlier in life. I wish I was when I was 20. I wish I had that that experience. I would oh invest in bitcoin for sure like a hundred percent 20 year old josh like god go buy go get all the bitcoin that you can when it was you know a tenth of a penny uh, (laughs) right if only we had known gosh that that would have been for sure if i could have told myself that that would be a big one uh and i i think the, the thing to recognize from this though, um, it's it's like Marty from Back to the Future when he wants to bet on the Super Bowl winners. That you know we can't do that. Uh, yeah. And so, just to make sure, I mean, I I prompted you with the question, but <laughs> but <laughs> to make sure that we don't spend too much time, you know, thinking about that because it's never going to happen. Right. All right. Thank you, Mr. Nelson. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much. I thought this was was really special. Mm-hmm.